Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. So how we do our sermon uh, delegation is Greg is very kind to us. We kind of, once we figure out what the sermon series we want to be, he says, okay, what would you like to take, Amy? What would you like to take, Nate? And then he kind of fills in the rest. And so this year, I was like, you know what? I don't think I've done joy. I know I've done peace for Advent, and I think last year I did hope for Advent. Okay, I'll pick joy. And this was a couple of months ago. And then as I started getting closer and closer to preparing my sermon, I realized that I was feeling pretty reluctant to preach on joy, actually. That I was uh, keenly aware of a lot of pain and sorrow and grief that people close to me, people in this congregation are experiencing. And I was feeling the weight of it. And not only that, it was a feeling of, man, I don't want to rub salt in people's wounds. That as people are sitting here in pain, for me to get up and preach, just be joyful, didn't feel kind. So for a long time, I was, I was thinking, I was just going to preach on what does it look like to uh, walk through grief and sadness. And then I read the Christmas story. And you really can't get away from joy in the Christmas story. And so, I'm coming today, and we're going to talk about joy. But hear me when I say, I, I just need to acknowledge the pain that people have. That people right now are dealing with their bodies failing, or their minds failing, or relationships, or dreams gone. And as we look at joy, this isn't a dismissing of that. But rather figuring out how do we hold the two in tension. So let's look at where joy enters from the Christmas story. Luke 2, starting at verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. My version says, I bring you good news. But other versions say, I bring you the gospel. Because did you know that gospel, is, it just means good news? And so this good news is the gospel. And it says that joy is the result of the news. So what is this gospel 
according to the angels in this passage? Well, the gospel here for the shepherds wasn't that they could get into heaven or have eternal life. The gospel here for the shepherds wasn't that they are justified by grace, not by works. The gospel here for the shepherds wasn't that they get to be healthy and wealthy. The gospel, the good news for the shepherds was the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today. And we see some of these words and we kind of skip over them because we know, oh yeah, Savior, Messiah, Lord, that's great. But what they would have understand this word is, is the Savior, the protector, the defender, the rescuer of Israel was here. The Messiah, Christ, the anointed one, the one they had been waiting for. And Lord, the one supreme in authority, the master. And it's always important when we look at scripture that we understand uh, the context, how the people hearing the news would have understood it. Because we see Savior and we understand what Jesus came on earth to do. We understand the rest of the story, but the shepherds didn't. They were waiting for the king. They were uh, waiting for the anointed one. The one that different prophets, prophets had foretold that were going to come and save Israel. That they were going to rule over them and establish his full kingdom. Here on earth, the kingdom of God is what they understood. And what this rule of God would have brought was peace and prosperity to all within the kingdom. They would have known this famous passage in Isaiah 9, 6-7 that we read as knowing it was fulfilling Jesus. But if we can, as I read this, try and picture Jesus not attached to this. That they were just waiting for someone who would fulfill this. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with the fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The Jewish people at the time saw time divided into two uh, eras. One as this age, this is the shepherds. One is this age without the Messiah. The king of kings had not come to earth yet. And then the age to come. When the anointed king was in charge on earth. It was a hard line in the sand. It was before the Messiah came and after the Messiah came. The shepherds would have thought that this declaration of the angels was that the one to usher in the age to come was here. The king was on earth and the kingdom had come. They were right from a certain point of view. The king was here and he did usher in the kingdom, but it wasn't what they thought. 
How often is Jesus like that in our own lives, hey? Where we, we get a glimpse of him, and then how he works in our lives and what it means to have him a part of our lives often isn't quite what we thought it would be. And yet, still good. So, the good news that brings joy for all of us is that Jesus is that king. And he has come to usher and make available this kingdom of God here on earth now. Well, great. Jesus has come. The kingdom of God is here. We can all experience perfect peace and well-being. Perfect. Well, all of us here know that this is not what we're experiencing, is it? So what's going on? Well, though the Jewish people saw it as the the age without the Messiah, then a hard line, and the age with the Messiah, it's a little different how it played out. The kingdom of God is a now and not yet situation. Another way of saying it is it's really here, but not fully here. And we get the opportunity to align and orientate ourselves around Jesus and what he did on the cross and his resurrection in a way to live within God's kingdom. It's kind of like an advanced sign of what's to come for the whole world. We're kind of like a sneak peek or an advanced team that goes ahead. We get to choose to participate in the kingdom of God today. Peace, well-being, joy, hope, love, because of the love, presence, and power of Jesus. Joy is a part of what this kingdom of God brings. And like I said in the beginning, We have to acknowledge the tension of joy and sorrow together. We live in this age still, where there's sorrow, pain, grief, wounds, the real things. And we get to live one foot in the age to come and experience his joy. 2 Corinthians 6.10 kind of alludes to this and just simply says, our hearts ache, the pain, sorrow, grief, but we always have joy. But we don't really hold this tension too well all the time, do we? Sometimes we can get overwhelmed with this age. And that's where I found myself as I was preparing this sermon, overwhelmed with the pain, grief, and sorrow, and, and sometimes I think it's because it's, it's in our faces. It's in our lives. We're experiencing it within our bodies. It seems more real and more legit than the age to come because it's right here. And so we get trapped, and we can't seem to find a way out. And then sometimes... We grab for the age to come when the kingdom of God is here on earth and all is well. 
but we grab for it in kind of a denial of the sorrow now. We grab for the rejoice, just be joyful, as a way to, to uh, ignore what's happening actually inside of us and the people around us. We've all seen this. And I'd be willing to bet we've all done it at one point or another. Rick Howe, an author on uh, joy, talks about this tension like this. Joy fits in a world created and governed by a benevolent, wise, all-powerful God. There are good reasons to believe that such a God exists. But our world also features pain, suffering, and a troubling array of moral evil. No discussion of joy is complete without coming to grips with these stubborn facts. There can be no happily ever after ending to the story unless joy meets these foes on the, battle, on the field of battle and survives the ordeal. A faith, a joy unmarked by pain, sorrow, and grief is an immature faith and a shallow joy. Which way do you lean? Do you find yourself getting overwhelmed with this age? Or maybe you use the age to come as a way to be in denial. As people living both in this age now and the age to come, we have to become robust in grappling with, walking with, and being with people in places of deep sorrow and still be able to reside in deep joy. But residing in this deep joy can be a struggle. Sometimes we can get the concept of joy tangled up with empire. We can begin to believe the lie that joy is a commodity. We either purchase it through materialism, accumulation of things or experiences, that that's how we get joy. Or we feel like we have to earn it. That we somehow have to be deserving of this joy. That's a mark of empire. Winners and losers. People get stuff or they don't. And you have to work for it. However, as Bono once said, joy is an act of defiance. When we experience joy, we're declaring that we will not cave to empire. We will not cave to this age. Another struggle in, in residing in this deep joy is, is sometimes we can give ultimate power to our emotions. We kind of get into this space of where it's like, well, we have no control over we feel. So it's, it's just how I feel. So whether I feel joyful, I had no control. When I feel sad or, or angry, I had no control. We can feel powerless to whatever emotions occur. And it's so, so much more nuanced than that. Again, Rick Howe says this, emotions are the tip of the iceberg. There is much more beneath the surface. And when we explore that territory, we discover that we are active participants and contributors to our emotional states. Even if it seems we have little control over our feelings per se, 
we do have a say about their entourage of values, beliefs, and desires. We can affirm them or deny them, embrace them or reject them, cultivate them or put them in check. This is what makes it possible for us to school our emotions. Wisely or foolishly, in unhealthy or healthy ways, we all manage our emotions. This, in turn, plays an important role in the formation of our character. And this makes our emotions morally significant. The pursuit of joy is a moral obligation. Joy is chosen. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Which, frankly, is a bummer. Because sorrow does happen to us. We don't get to choose whether we're going to be in pain or not. But we get to choose whether we'll experience joy or not. A few weeks ago, oh, probably six weeks ago now, from our Sabbath series, when we were talking about delight as a part of the Sabbath, Pastor Greg mentioned that joy is a feeling, a condition, and a discipline. We get the feeling of joy. We've all uh, experienced sparks or overwhelming feelings of joy. But number two, it's a condition, a, a character trait, is maybe something that we don't see the same way. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Let's listen. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. If joy was only circumstantially based or an innate personality trait, it wouldn't make sense to be included in the fruits of the Spirit. If there could be no development or, or growth in it, it doesn't fit with the rest of them. Because we wouldn't say, oh, self-control. I mean, some people just have it. It's a personality trait, and everyone else, I guess, just doesn't. It's the same with joy. Joy is a condition. It's also a discipline. Sometimes joy is easy, and those times are wonderful. And sometimes... Joy is not easy. And it's training, actually. It's hard work, actually, to orientate yourself to the kingdom of God, to the age to come, to the goodness of Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we pursue joy? We, uh, a few weeks ago, again, probably six weeks ago, because it was in our small group after uh, the Sabbath is a time of delight, we ended up in a conversation of what, what is joy? Are we joyful people? How do we experience it? And we had a lot of different, different thoughts and ideas, and we kind of rumbled around. Have we actually ever experienced true joy? Is this just a taste of what's to come? And we kind of landed on, from my perspective, so my small group people will tell me later if I am accurately representing our discussion, but it was the difference between a joyful person and an unjoyful person is one is aware and present to God's presence and love for them in the moment. It's kind of the best thing that we could come up with. But how, how do we do that? What does that look like? 
Well, I think Philippians 4, 4 to 6, gives us some insight, at least what it begins to look like. Always be full of the joy of the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we can do that cultivates joy is give thanks. More and more uh, studies in science and psychology are telling us what we already know from the Bible. That giving thanks has a dramatic effect on our body. It lowers blood pressure, improves sleep, it strengthens social relationships, it improves our immune system, it releases dopamine and serotonin. That's just like the physical, emotional side. Then there's also the spiritual benefits of when we give thanks to God. It broadens our awareness of God in our lives. Sometimes we can get so focused on on this age What's happening right now? But when we give thanks, our heads are lifted up to look for God's presence, to look for signs of the age to come where the kingdom of God is breaking in in our lives. We get to see that. Giving thanks also takes away circumstantial power and anchors us to Jesus and his kingdom. When we give thanks, it breaks us away from this feeling of events have the last say. We're victim to the stuff that just happens in our lives, and and there's no uh, power there. But when we give thanks, we ground ourselves to the knowledge that Jesus has the last say, that Jesus has the power. Gratitude and joy have a history and a future. We become aware, and we acknowledge where the kingdom of God is breaking in, and as we do that, it gives hope and builds faith for what Jesus will do in the future. So give thanks. Another way to cultivate joy is draw near to God, which makes sense when we think about it, that proximity matters, and so we need to get close to the ultimate source of joy. Verse 6, pray about everything, tell God what you need, and thank him. It's kind of hard to be doing that at a distance, isn't it? And then third, curate our thoughts. What we think about matters. Immediately after the passage I just read, Paul addresses our thoughts and our minds. Verse 8, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And I think Nate uh, talked about this a few weeks ago when he asked us, what are we gazing upon? What are we consistently fixing our thoughts on? 
because our brain is an efficient thing. And we have neural pathways that the more we travel down those, the more they're strengthened and other ones die. And so, if we are constantly in the negative, the complaining, the grumbling, those neural pathways are getting strengthened. They're getting more and more and more. And unfortunately, how it seems to be wired, psychology tells us, is we're wired to uh, notice negative situations first. They talk, it's just threat analysis and stuff. So that comes easier to us. We find the problems, we find the threats, we find the negative things, we find the things that are wrong, and those pathways are getting more and more strengthened. But, because our brain is a, a wonderful thing, we can starve those pathways and create new ones. And so as we curate our thoughts, as we focus on the things of the age to come and how it looks like to be the kingdom of God here on earth, those pathways are strengthened. And as we do that more and more, it becomes more and more easier for our brain to go in that direction. So what we think about matters. So choosing joy over fear, and partnering with the kingdom of God here and now by cultivating joy requires us to give thanks, draw near to God, and curate our thoughts. So, Jesus coming to earth, ushering in the start of the kingdom here on earth brings joy to all. And we get to be participants in this kingdom if if we want, and we get to choose joy or not. And choosing joy doesn't mean we never experience sorrow. It doesn't mean we ignore or dismiss the sorrow, but rather we open our eyes to the kingdom of God that is here and place one foot in the age to come where the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord redeems and restores all that has been lost and broken and brings a rule of love, joy, peace, and hope in fullness. The worship team can come back up. We're going to go into one more song. And I would just encourage you, if you'd like, to just take some time in this song and ask Jesus, what's one thing you want me to do today to cultivate joy? It might be a simple thing. It might be a big thing. But I would just encourage you to ask Jesus what's one thing he wants you to do today to cultivate joy and the awareness of his presence. Let's sing this last song. Stand, we can stand up and I will come back and do the final benediction. So today, church... I bless your awareness of the extravagant kindness and love of God, that it would be sharpened and expanded, that you may recognize the presence of Jesus in your life. In Jesus' name, may the tiny flickers of joy erupt where there has only been sorrow. May flames of joy burst forth where there has only been flickers. And may infernos of joy blaze where there have only been flames. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace and in peace return. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.